0: I think, KUCI. KUCI, Ima, ki FM. So KUCI. Estás escuchando a KUCI 88.9. KUCI. KUCI, FM. You're listening to 88.9 FM KUCI in our
1: Get ready to get out of Irvine and go abroad. On Thursday, October 14th, the UCI Center for International Education hosts its annual Go Abroad Fair on Ring Road in front of the UCI Student Center. At this resource fair, you can visit over 40 provider booths to learn about the wide variety of opportunities to study, work, volunteer, teach, and or research abroad. You can literally go anywhere in the world. You could study art history in Italy. You might work as an au pair in Greece. You can teach English in Japan. You could research the formation of the Caribbean islands in Barbados. You might even intern at a marketing firm in Korea. The possibilities are endless. Discover where you will go at the Go Abroad Fair on Thursday, October 14th. Visit www.cie.uci.edu for more details. See you there. KUCI in Irvine, the greatest radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Shore, the composer for the Lord of the Rings films. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? This is KUCI Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine. What is What Would Arwen Do? If a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? What would Arwin do? Some ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. But here I ask, we ask, what would Arwin do? You may be asking, who was Arwin?" In The Lord of the Rings, by Professor J.R.R. Tolkien, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and Lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or, in Elvish, Arda. I believe she understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, and her sense of humor and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Tolkien scholar Colin Durias writes, In his invented mythology of Middle-earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans, In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. I believe this elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through gifts gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. So, having the incredible privilege of having a public affairs show here on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM, in California, Orange County, And being friends with an elf in Orange County, right here by the Middle Earth campus of UCI, when things come up that I want to think more deeply about, I like to ask my elf friend, Tani Tanuvial, the question, what would Arwen do? I am Milo Lomestown, and with me today is my weekly guest, my weekly elf guest, Tani Tanuvial. We are streaming live on the Internet, but we'll get more to that later. Right now, it's time to talk to Tani. Good afternoon, Tani.
0: My govanen.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so exciting to be here with you again.
0: It's very exciting. <clears throat> and you know we elves are always loving a new adventure. And myself, having been the host, the elf host, of what would Arwen do for a little over five years now with you during this last year as my Hobbit co-host. We thought it would be what, well, I guess it was originally me I had to coax you into it a bit, how fun it would be if we got to change places. And you got to experience what it would be like to host the show and run the board and do all the intro. And I would get to be On this side, experiencing the radio show from a completely different aspect than I would if I were hosting the show. And here we are, having a brand new adventure.
1: Every week with you, (laughs) Elf Princess, is a wonderful adventure. Well, we should welcome our friends in Orange County, here on the campus of the University of California at Irvine, one of the great universities of the world, with the Donald Bren School of Computer and Information Science, a brilliant school, not to mention the medical school, which is one of the best in the United States, not to mention the brand-new School of Law with Dean Erwin Chemerinsky, the leading constitutional scholar of our time in its now second year. Mm -hmm. So welcome to all the faculty and staff and especially the students. Well, this is What Would Erwin Do for Tuesday, October the fifth, two 2010, And we have various things to talk about. We're going to be talking about uh, circuses. We're going to be talking about the Back Bay Cleanup Day. We're also going to be talking about movie news for The Hobbit. But I'd like to start with a reading from The Return of the King, the third part of the extensive epic novel, The Lord of the Rings. Mm. And in the chapter... Uh, of part five, the first chapter of book five, is the chapter Minas Tirith. One of my favorite parts is the description that Tolkien has of Minas Tirith, which I will now read. For the fashion of Minas Tirith was such that it was built on seven levels, each delved into the hill, and about each was set a wall, and each wall was a gate, but the gates were not set in a line. The great gate in the city wall was at the east point of the circuit, but the next faced half south, and the third half north, and so to and fro upwards, so that the paved way that climbed towards the citadel turned first this way, and then that way across the face of the hill. And each time that it passed the line of the great gate, it went through an arched tunnel, piercing a vast pier of rock whose huge outthrust bulk divided in two all the circles of the city save the first. For partly in the primeval shaping of the hill, partly by the mighty craft and labor of old, there stood up from the rear of the wide court behind the gate a towering bastion of stone, its edge sharp as a ship keel facing east. Up it rose, even to the level of the topmost circle, and there was crowned by the battlement, so that those in the citadel might, like mariners in a mountainous ship, look from its peak sheer down upon the gate seven hundred feet below. The entrance to the citadel also looked eastward, but was delved in the heart of the rock. Thence a long lamplit slope ran up to the seventh gate thus men reached at last the high court and the place of the fountain before the feet of the white tower tall and shapely 50 fathoms from its base to the pinnacle where the banner of the stewards floated a thousand feet above the plain Mm. what an amazing description and we see it realized brilliantly by Peter Jackson's Um. Weta workshop people in that wonderful digital set that we see in the return of the king film
0: I think I know the first time I saw Minas Tirith, it was, it was breathtaking. You know, the white city of Gondor, and I don't think I could have imagined it any <laughs> any better than what Peter, how Peter Jackson uh, brought it to the screen. It was it, it was very breathtaking.
1: Now you may wonder why am I reading this why today, are October fifth. Well, because what there's this... What is relevance, my the, dear hobbit? What is, has what is this got to do with anything? Yes. Well, the phrase high court is used, Tani, mm-hmm. you dear elf princess. The phrase high court is used of that area where we see near the end of the third film, King Aragorn was crowned. Yes. And high court means another thing in American English. It means the Supreme Court. And guess what happened? Yesterday was the first Monday in October, and so the Supreme Court... Opened It's October 2010 term. And what does this have to do with us? Well, part of our community, we are a part of the University of California, at Irvine. And its fabulous law school is now in its second year Mm -hmm. under Dean Irwin Chemerinsky, the founding dean and perhaps the leading scholar of the U.S. Constitution in the United States, if not the world. Well, guess what? Dean Chemerinsky has his fifth book. It was just published last week. You can find it on Amazon.com. The title is The Conservative Assault on the Constitution. He talks about how political conservatives have changed the Constitution over the past 40 years, along with current and future issues facing the U.S. Supreme Court. Dean Chemerinsky said in a recent interview, Quote, since Richard Nixon ran for president in 1968, conservatives have sought to remake constitutional law in virtually every area. They have to a very large extent succeeded. Republican presidents and the justices they have appointed have dramatically changed constitutional law. His fifth book examines this dynamic by looking at the Supreme Court's abandonment of equal opportunity in the areas of education, the unchecked growth of presidential power, the erosion of the separation of church and state, the diminishing, diminishing rights of defendants, the curtailment of individual liberties, and the increasing restrictions on access to the courts. But the greatest threats to our liberties, according to Dean Chemerinsky, are ignorance and complacency. Quote, and listen to this, Tani, this is what Dean Chemerinsky has to say. Quote, opinion poll after opinion poll has shown how little people know of their rights. Opinion poll after opinion poll shows that many provisions of the Bill of Rights could not get adopted today. I think that the greatest threat to liberty is people taking it for granted. Mm. And that is a very, very sad commentary. But I mention it as there is a new book by Dean Chemerinsky, and if you have read his, his many articles and his several books, you understand what not only a deep, deep, fabulous legal mind he has Mm -hmm. but if you look at amazon.com you'll be able to read some pages from his new book as well as his other books you'll be able to see uh, some pages from his new book the conservative assault on the constitution and it's just wonderful writing it's very relevant writing it's not dry and theoretical or highly technical but it is writing that is relevant to us today
0: and i think that these things are are very important um When I first started doing What Would Arwen Do? over five years ago, I declared this a politics-free zone. Um, Not because I didn't like politics, but I felt like there are so many people discussing politics ad nauseum on the air that uh, we needed to have some shows You know, something on the air uh, having to do with celebrating arts and music and caring for the environment and things like that. However, I do think it's very important. We do need to be informed. And the thing I think that's a challenge for many of us, especially those of us who are more on the creative bent of, of life. Um, and feeling that the arts also, the aesthetics of life are important. Sometimes when we try to tackle these things, even reading the Constitution and understanding exactly what all is going on there, it becomes a little bit overwhelming, you know, even just voting. I I know every time it's time to vote, um, I go and talk to one, one of my friends who explains these things to me in plain English, what the proposals actually are and what the ramica- ramifications actually are, because a lot of times I read both sides and I'm not exactly sure what it is that I'm voting for and whether or not it's a good thing.
1: <laughs> well, absolutely. And again, this... And
0: of course, we have elections coming up in just uh, just in November.
1: Just a month, right? It's about a month from today, the first... Uh Tuesday after the first Monday in Mm -hmm. November here in the United States, we, of course, like to welcome our international listeners. I know that we have listeners on podcasts from Toronto, Canada, for instance, Mm. an old friend of mine, so a shout-out to Martin. But, uh, yes, here in the United States, the elections are one month away, basically, and uh, this should be a politics-free zone. However, we are the voice of the University of California, at Irvine, and Dean Chemerinsky. Whether you agree with his views or not... He is such a brilliant mind and such an excellent communicator. I was privileged several weeks ago to listen to his lecture on the Constitution uh, near just a couple of days before Constitution Day. Right. And his lecture at the Orange Coast Community College was just Brilliant. He did it without notes, just extemporaneous yes. for 45 minutes.
0: I would love to see that book. And I wasn't saying that, the you know, this about this being a politics-free zone in the sense of saying, you know, we're not going to discuss any of those things because I think that there are times when, I mean, just things that you're passionate about are, in a sense, a political type of thing. I was just jokingly right. saying, you know, that um, b- because there are, times, there are times when, you know, even artists and <laughs> musicians have to understand so that we don't uh, give up our rights without realizing what is happening. So it's very important to stay That's informed. Right. That's and, right. and you say his book is available now?
1: It's available today.
0: Right. Wow. So, I, wonder, I wonder if we could ever maybe have him on. Definitely and this, this
1: has relevance to the program today because for a moment we need to talk about something. Normally we're joyful and happy, happy-go-lucky, elf and hobbit, but today we need to talk something somewhat more serious, something that has to do with justice.
0: Yes, and this is something that is very dear to my heart, as anyone who's listened to the show. Um, I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, and I am passionate about the creatures of our fair planet. And uh, for some time, it's interesting because I grew up as a child, uh, occasionally going to the Barnum & Bailey Circus and thought it was just a wonderful thing. But as I've become (laughs) older and wiser and uh, more... Reflective on what's actually going on, I feel very differently now about circuses, where animals are uh, transported and kept in small cages simply for the entertainment of people. And so, for some time, I have really advocated that people consider not supporting these types of events. um, Certainly, not something like Cirque du Soleil, which is a beautiful artistic circus, but. These events where animals are being trained and kept in small cages and transported around. I think if people really thought about it, you know, most of us have had a cat or a dog. What if we took our little dog and we kept him in his, um, that little travel container that we take him down to the vet in, you know, or take him to get groomed? Temporary you know, that container. That little temporary container that's just about big enough for him to turn around in. What if we kept him in that all the time and we only took him out when we wanted to play with him and have him entertain us and then we put him back in his little cage? People would say, well, that would be horrible. And yet this is what we do with circus animals. And not to mention that we take them out of their natural habitat and travel them all over um, the planet and try to you know and train them to do things that are natural for them so last night there was an article there was um, a mention of this in the news from an incident that had happened Saturday in the Ukraine where a circus lion attacked the trainer during the circus interestingly um, an American family actually captured uh, footage of this happening they had a video camera but This is a situation where uh, on Saturday um, they have a circus circus tradition that goes back at least 100 years, and just because we've done everything for a really long time doesn't mean we can't create new traditions, as you and I have both done with regards to Thanksgiving and being kinder to our turkey friends. Um, But it says, but on Saturday a performance of one of those circuses went horribly wrong, and an American family got it all on video. It says that um, the... Uh, lion, the video shows the initial attack of the Ukrainian lion, lion tamer uh, Alexei Pinko. It, it shows the trainer trying to keep the lion at bay with a steel rod. So again, here we're using steel rods to keep lions away. When lions are generally doing what they, you know, they have instincts. They have, you know, um, it said that kids were screaming. Some kids were only 10 feet away and there was just nothing but a net uh, separating them. So here we not only have animals being mistreated, but we have are jeopardizing children and families. Um, it says that the circus workers quickly attempted to hose down the angry lions, separating from their prey. Um, the crowd, including uh, shepherds' own two children, scream in terror. It goes on to say that uh, this re- attack follows another dangerous inc- incident that was just a month ago at Las Vegas Vegas, uh, MGM Grand Hotel, where a a lion turned on its trainer. While that attack happened behind a protective glass, uh, what was most horrifying about this week's attack, Milo, was that a sheer net appears to be all that separates the lions from the circus audience of roughly 1,000 people, many of them small children. So Doug Shepard, the guy who was videoing, said, you have a handler from outside poking through the net, and then there's one inside who almost gets eaten, but the lions are after the trainer. It said afterwards, Doug said, I've been to some great circus performances there. My son said, I don't want to go to the circus ever again, and I don't blame him. So you also have this poor child, all these ch- children with these terrifying visions, you know, images of lions attacking people. And, you know, my my heart is just, can we just think about some of these things and think about um, who we are as a people now Um Sometimes things that were okay at a time, we hopefully grow a little wiser and more compassionate and realize that we need to make some changes. I don't think
1: (laughs) anyone would think it was ever okay to mistreat an animal. There's a big difference between this mistreatment of animals purely for our own jollies, just for our own sort of temporary transitory you know shock value and the real use of animals the productive use of animals and the kind and evaluatory that is highly valuing animals that that we see right. the reverence that Zoe Saldana's character in the movie Avatar shows mm-hmm. for the wild beasts mm-hmm. uh and she says yes we we do hunt them and yes you know we do kill them and eat them but but we treasure and we value their lives, and we celebrate their lives, right. much as the Native Americans of North America
0: absolutely treasured
1: uh, and valued, and almost worshipped in a way the buffalo, as when was they. Was
0: part of the natural circle of life, you know right. that that. Um, the animal provided food and and those people eventually their bodies went back into the earth as well it you know it was a circle of life. Uh, this is very different from just taking animals and locking them up for entertainment purposes, even zoos although i you know I will concede that there are some zoos out there that are you know not very good places for animals to be in. I believe that probably most of them uh uh, or, or a good amount of them nowadays, the zoos are have animals that many of them where the animals are in danger of becoming extinct and they 're uh, protecting them and helping to um, them to you know to flourish and to produce more um, but also uh, many of these animals have been injured or something and, and would not be able to survive in the wild. And they're, But they're treated with compassion and treated with respect and fed properly and have room to roam around and all of that type of thing, like, you know, down at the wild animal park. Um, that is very different, I believe, from animals that are locked up and taken in cages on the road to provide entertainment for people so they can see a lion stand on a ball or jump through a hoop. Mm-hmm. And
1: eventually, you know, Arda and its creatures will rebel against mistreatment. We certainly saw the great magicians, the great Las Vegas magicians Siegfried and Roy. Roy Horn basically thought he was in total control of the animals. And yet one of the tigers basically ripped out his throat and caused severe brain damage and... There was someone who thought he was in total control, but in fact, they're wild animals. And he treated them with a lot of respect, but, but not enough. They're still
0: wild animals. They're
1: still wild <laughs> they animals. They were
0: meant to be wild animals.
1: So using animals purely for our own enjoyment and sort of prompting them to do unnatural things is is a shame. It's It's just a very, very sad thing and sort of unjust.
0: And what's my point here is... Um, because from time to time, circuses come to town, and not only just to contemplate these things and whether or not you want to take your children to these types of things, but also considering that you can make a difference. Again, a lot of times the way we vote, in a sense, about things is with our dollars and with our attendance. And if nobody is going to you know, attend these events, or if people... Uh, let people know, you know, I would love to come to a circus, but I don't want to see, you know, things being done, you know, with animals. Right. It, it would be, you know, that is the way to affect some change. And also with our zoos, you know, if you have a local zoo and the animals are not being treated properly, then, you know, See if you can make a difference in, and do something. And the places where they are, you know, be sure to thank them. You know, don't just, don't just, you know, sometimes we just go, but a lot of times we can actually thank people. Thank you for uh, protecting the animals and taking care of them. Like the, the Birds of Prey Center here in Orange County that uh, gets hundreds of birds and. Uh, that are injured, and they nurse them back in back to health. they are very careful not to imprint on the bird, which means that the bird becomes kind of domesticated and dependent. but the bird is nursed back to health and they um, I was actually privileged to be part of a release party where they released um, about thirty birds, kestrels, eagles, hawks, back into the wild after they were um, healed so <clears throat> you know and of course we can I just say that um, we see in the middle earth. J.R.R. Tolkien and his dear friend C.S. Lewis, great lovers of animals, and in uh, in the books, in the uh, certainly in C.S. Lewis's books, Aslan, the lion, um, is you know the creator of Narnia and the protector of the children. In J.R. Tolkien's uh, Middle Earth, uh, he was more inclined, I think, toward birds. We see the great eagles of Manway that rescue. They're in the Hobbit book. They rescue Gandalf and the Hobbits in the, that book. They rescue Gandalf from uh, Orthanc in The Lord of the Rings. And then at the end, they rescue Sam and Frodo from Mount Doom as it is crashing all around them.
1: And, of course, there's the thrush in The Hobbit, which acts as a messenger, which was brilliantly realized by Nathan McCarrick in his recent production of The Hobbit theatrical presentation at the maverick theater up in fullerton so birds are a big factor but animals are throughout oh. the mythology there's there's a meditation that you oh, yes. had found from john muir and i don't want to read the entire meditation but there Sorry. was a paragraph yes that was unbelievably meaningful that really got to the core of what this issue is so before we return to the fantasy world of Lord of the Rings, let's have a, a reading from that great naturalist from Northern California.
0: Well, actually, I'd like to juxtapose it a little bit with a, just a short quotation from the Silmarillion, which is the backstory in the history leading up to the story of the rings. Um, and this is from one of my favorite tales, the tale of Beren and Luthien. Uh, Beren being, you know, a mortal, Luthien being an elf princess uh, who did great deeds of daring and. Um, and Great Adventures, but it talks about where before they had met that Barin was wandering. And it says here, uh, thereafter for four years more, Barin wandered still upon Dorthonion, a solitary outlaw. But he became the friend of birds and beasts, and they aided him and did not betray him. And from that time forth, he ate no flesh nor slew any leafy living thing that was not in the service of Morgoth. And I think for all of us, we would never think of eating, you know, going out and slaughtering our dog to have it for lunch. And if we had more of a personal connection with animals, we would, you know, if we actually had to go out and slaughter a chicken for for lunch, we'd probably say, eh, maybe let's have some rice yes. and <laughs> some vegetables. Yes. And this wonderful meditation, uh, this is from a book called The Meditations of John Muir, Nature's Temple, a lovely book. And this is a meditation called The Animal Within. And he says, John Muir says, surely a better time must be drawing nigh when godlike human beings will become truly humane and learn to put their animal fellow mortals in their hearts instead of on their backs or in their dinners. In the meantime, we may just as well not learn to live clean, innocent lives instead of slimy, bloody ones. All hail red-blooded boys are savage, the best and boldest, the savagest, fond of hunting hunting and fishing. But when thoughtless childhood is past, the best rise the highest above all this bloody flesh and sport business, the wild foundational animal dying out day by day as divine uplifting, transfiguring charity grows in. So he, and he goes on to say, And surely all God's people however serious and savage great or small like to play and how many of us know that from watching our pets play right uh, all all creatures love to play so anyway uh, not to be leaving us on uh a, you know a, a, a down note because the good news is that is that we all have the ability to make a difference and to celebrate the animals in our lives instead of uh, enslaving them,
1: absolutely. There, are, there are so many ways.
0: Talk to the birds, talk to the to the bees. Say thank you for being here. Thank you for pollinating the flowers. Thank you for singing in the trees and letting me hear it.
1: Absolutely, and and there are many many ways to help animals in general. I have a friend that I work out with by the name of Renee. She operates a special food bank for homeless pets. Pets that are in 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 basically mm-hmm. bondage, right? Pets that are in the various pens and so forth that they keep stray animals, and she actually maintains a food bank and accepts donations to it. So there are many ways to to help our our winged friends and our four footed friends. Uh, but the main the and main and to way to help
0: ourselves, because I actually believe that this does actually help us. It when we are kinder and gentler to others, then somehow we become a little kinder and gentler.
1: And I believe that's absolutely true. <laughs> absolutely. So
0: that's what Arwen would do, I Th- believe.
1: That's what Arwen would do, and this is this is the show, What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine. You're listening to Milo Lomestown, The Hobbit, and his weekly guest this quarter, <laughs> Tani Tanuvial, the resident KUCI elf, you know, one of the things that I enjoy about this area of the world
0: mm-hmm.
1: is is the water that surrounds us. Now, I don't like being on boats, like most hobbits. Right. I don't really care for boats. But at the end of the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. the last chapter of Book Six, the Grey Havens, then Frodo kissed Marion Pippin, and last of all Sam, and went aboard. And the sails were drawn up, and the wind blew, and slowly the ship slipped away down the long gray firth, and the light of the glass of Galadriel that Frodo bore glimmered and was lost. And the ship went out into the high sea, and passed on into the west, until at last, on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance on the air, and heard the sound of singing that came over the water, and... How many times have we loved the water here? We're in Orange County and we have we're right on the edge of the Great Pacific Ocean with its treasure trove of bounteous seafood for those of us that, that eat some animals. Mm-hmm. And just wonderful pleasures of boating for many people. But even I love to put my furry little feet into the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Near the Huntington Beach Pier, there is a beautiful sandy beach and it's Mm -hmm. very warm on the feet. And then you can walk right up to the edge of the Pacific Ocean, the Great Ocean, and actually feel water lap your feet that perhaps has lapped the feet of people in Japan Mm -hmm. or China or Thailand. Uh, So we have... Something to discuss today also, Tani, that is a community event of very, very great importance that happens, I believe, just once a year.
0: Yes, and so this, so the, the last topic we had about uh, caring for the animals, which I think is, is more of an, an elvish thing, you know, what would Armin do, this... Um, I believe is elvish also, but also kind of a, what would a hobbit do? Um, Hobbits, you know, as you know, Milo, love the earth, care for their, you know, they loved the Shire. I mean, Frodo and Sam went on their quest, not because so much that they wanted to destroy the Ring or destroy Margoth. They were going to protect the Shire and those that they loved.
1: And it's very important to protect our, our potato fields and our wonderful broccoli fields The mushroom areas and the carrot fields, we love all these vegetables from the earth. We're getting a little bit of rain today in the shire called Orange County, and it's just lovely to refresh the greenery of the earth and help the the plants grow that are currently growing.
0: I get very excited whenever it rains because the trees all dance and are happy and the plants all dance and are happy and water's in the street and it makes the lights all brighter and it's just a very wonderful thing and I in my yoga class as I always whenever it's raining and I'm teaching I always uh, encourage my students to jump in a puddle because puddle jumping is will always make you laugh
1: Absolutely
0: <laughs> Jumping in a puddle will always I you can hardly I just don't think you can actually Consciously jump in the middle of a puddle and splash it without it making you smile. So puddle jumping is a is a good thing. So we have some news though. In, in weeks past, we have encouraged our listeners to think about getting involved with the Coastal Cleanup Day over at the Back Bay, and we have a little report on the efforts of volunteers at the Back Bay. And this was just uh, uh, Saturday, September 25th, and there was a wonderful little write up about this in the. Um, newport beach um, in independent paper um, but i I like to share this Milo because I think it it shows what the diff- what diff- a difference one person can make because these were all individual volunteers, some of them showed up as a family, but you know thousands of people making a difference just by showing up. And this was um, this was at the Back Bay. It was part of a larger event, which was at, is actually um, the twenty sixth, the Coastal Commission's twenty sixth annual California Coastal Cleanup Day, which is part of the International Coastal Cleanup Day. So um, here locally, it was over at the. Uh, interpretive center and people got to go into the back bay one of the last remaining estuaries on the california coast got to go into areas that they normally do not have access to because those are protected places because of the um, endangered birds especially have their nests in there
1: so by volunteering to help the back newport bay in fact you're not only helping the bay and your fellow humans but you're helping yourself through this wonderful adventure that you yes. cannot have any other time of the year.
0: Absolutely. And it says here tens of thousands of volunteers across California gathered trash from creeks, rivers, lakes, beaches, and bays. According to the commission, volunteers picked up 692,203 pounds of trash. My gosh. On one day. That's how much of a difference. One day people gathering together for four hours on one day of the year and 59,228 pounds of recyclable materials so those are probably a good deal of those are um, plastic bottles that are not now going into the ocean and joining that big um, great great (laughs) great trash um,
1: that flotilla of trash in uh, the middle of the pacific ocean what is it the size of the state of texas yes unbelievable
0: It says that more than 200 students from Newport Beach and nearby cities also joined in the effort to clean up the back bay. And uh, so there were, it says, volunteers ranged from kids to their grandparents. People from Newport to Long Beach, first-time garbage gatherers to long-time environmentalists, everyone was on hand to clean up the coast. And it goes on to say here that um, Newport Bay naturalists and friends uh, volunteer staff, uh, Dennis Litton, has been volunteering for many years and said he has seen all kinds of trash be brought in during the cleanup day. In past years, there have been some odd finds, uh, like including a safe, chairs, and a little wooden coffin with a small rat inside.
1: <laughs> oh, my There's, gosh.
0: He was probably very glad to be rescued. Um, Amazing. Yeah. but uh, so Bizarre. It goes on to say most of the trash in the back bay – comes from the 155, 54 mile square watershed that includes Teston, Irvine, and other and parts of other cities including Santa Ana, Costa Mesa, Lake Forest, and Volunteers. So that includes the campus here at UC Irvine. And that and what that actually means is that everything that goes into the drains ends up into that in that river that drains into the back bay. So by making sure that trash is not going into the gutters, um We're making a difference in um, one of the last remaining estuaries and a difference for the creatures. Many birds stop in that estuary for food on their migratory journeys, and it also makes a difference in us because we care for our home.
1: Well, yes. I mean, not only is it logical. I mean, as a practical hobbit, I have to tell you, it's always made sense to me that we should take care of our home. I mean, you don't let your home get dirty. If you do, it's not pleasant to look at or smell it could be dangerous to your health so you clean it up once in a while right and the same applies to the air right mm-hmm. you driving your automobiles around all the time using leaded gas 40 years ago and we saw the near cataclysm that happened to southern california air And eventually the air quality management district was established and the laws were established that got rid of leaded gasoline and went to unleaded gasoline. And the air quality has improved quite a bit. It's still not good, but it is much, much, much better than it was. So we need to take care of the earth, not only because it's the right thing to do. It's a precious gift. The earth, the air, the creatures, the creatures in the sea, the creatures on land, the creatures in the air All of this is a precious gift Mm -hmm. uh, of Arda, our Earth Mother, and we have the, the logical need and the moral imperative to take care of the Earth and the air and the water and the creatures that are in all three.
0: And the other thing is, the Elvish perspective, is that it's really fun. You can go, when you go to these events and you do, volunteer work is one of the most wonderful ways to meet incredible people. Whether you're volunteering here at KUCI, whether you're volunteering over at the Back Bay, at your local shelter, um, at the Interpretive Center, um, going to a soup kitchen, you know, once in a while you can meet some wonderful people who will change your life. So I think we have a little bit of music for a little music break, don't we? Something to celebrate a little bit of Hobbit things.
1: Yes, we have a wonderful selection. I will announce it before.
0: And and before you announce it, uh, just in case people are just tuning in, this is What Would Arwen Do? on every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. here on KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live on the Internet at KCI.org.
1: Welcome to all of our friends listening live and also, after the fact, on podcast from KUCITalk.org or on iTunes. And yes, we have a wonderful and very, very funny. Well, we had sort of uh, serious discussions. Now we get into the mean, wonderful, normal, fun-loving, joyful (laughs) environment. And here is a wonderful selection from Fellowship the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring, the original cast recording. This is a wonderful thing that The Elf has shared with me. This uh, fellowship was originally directed by Joel McCrary with a book by Kelly Holden and Joel McCrary and music by Alan Simpson and lyrics by the entire cast. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So from Fellowship, the musical parody, we are going to listen to the wonderful selection, It's a Hobbit Thing. This is KUCI. Irvine
0: Now when I wake up in the Shire for I take up my attire, I go to see just what there is to eat. And my gammer's standing there, and I stammer and I stare when I see that she's prepared my favorite meat. Now when the meeting course is done, then the feasting has begun, and like a little piggy I will squeal. For all its blessings, Oh, how we see it's, it's a hobbit It's a hobbit. It's a hobbit thing Shire Wonderfully, wonderfully creative. Uh, Those people were... I got to see this live (laughs) up in Hollywood, and it was absolutely amazing. Hopefully that um, production will be revived as we get closer to the Hobbit movies.
1: That was just simply delightful. I'm amazed at all of the things that you, dear Elf Princess, have gathered over your years since... I guess it was March of 2002 when you fell in love with Fellowship of the Ring after the Mm. Academy Awards. Yes. This was, the selection you heard was It's a Hobbit Thing (laughs) from Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring, the original cast recording. Thank you, dear Elf Princess.
0: You're welcome. We elves always love a little bit of dancing and singing, And, and it's interesting because if there was one thing, I think that uh, Peter Jackson, you know, in the story, in the Lord of the Rings story, you know, it is the waning of the elves, and there there is a lot of sadnesses of departing departing Middle Earth. However, if you look in the books, though, there was still much of merriment and singing and dancing going on at times, and uh, that was one of the things we didn't get to see too much of. And in the Hobbit, it's even they're even sillier.
1: And <laughs> the interesting. One interesting thing about The Lord of the Rings is the index to poems and songs. Mm -hmm. There are many, many poems and songs. And as I do a quick count here, it looks to me like there's about 50 of them in (laughs) The Lord of the Rings. Yes. So there there was much... There were serious poems, but there was much merrymaking.
0: Absolutely. The
1: road goes ever on and on. Oh, my gosh. Wonderful.
0: Don't we love uh, in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring when the hobbits get to Bree and they're dancing on the tables. Oh, my gosh. And then Frodo falls off and the ring falls on his finger and everybody gasps.
1: (laughs) Well, guess what I have. Dear Elf Princess, why don't you read this headline Oh Just my read gosh. the headline. I'm I'll so read the rest. Is this going be Read the headline news. from the Los Angeles Times.
0: The headline from the F- Los Angeles Times says, Fellowship forms around, quote, Hobbit. So what in the world is this all about?
1: Well, as you know, dear Elf Princess, for several years there has been planned the prequel, that is the logical predecessor to The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and actually the book first published by Tolkien, even though... It was formulated much, much later than the entire Middle Earth mythology. Mm-hmm. Right. That goes back to the origins of the Book of Lost Tales and so forth. But but the first book to be published in nineteen thirty seven, which we celebrated a couple weeks ago on this program, was The Hobbit by J. R. R. Tolkien, and it is now going to be made into two movies, The Hobbit yes. Part One and The Hobbit and Part, Part Two. <laughs> And this is an interesting article. There has been much, much rumor and reportage about the Hobbit movies. But just this past Saturday, October 2nd, the Los Angeles Times... In their column called Company Town, which covers the business of making movies.
0: So this isn't just, you know, some little fly-by-night newspaper. Not that, you know, the fly-by-night. It is is the voice of Hollywood. Yes, and it's not just a blog that someone put something up there. This isn't just a rumor. No,
1: this is written by Claudia Eller and Ben Fritz. And Claudia Eller especially is a well-respected film business journalist. She is shall we say, authoritative, Mm. is a good word for her. The subtitle here is, Studios Approach a Deal to Start Shooting the Lord of the Rings Prequel, Sources Say. And she is not going to quote sources unless they are very reliable sources. So I'll just read you the brief beginning of this, and we'll get into other Hobbit movie news. But the beginning of her and Ben Fritz's article says, After several years of delays that have frustrated eager fans, moviegoers might soon be able to return to Middle Earth. Warner Brothers, its subsidiary New Line Cinema, and partner Metro Golden mayer appear to be close to greenlighting the hugely anticipated two-part Lord of the Rings prequel. Well, greenlighting is a technical term in the movie business, which means giving the financial go-ahead, committing the financial money to actually produce a movie or set of movies. She continues. Yeah, yay. I mean, this is is very, very, very good news. If
0: only Gandalf was here, he might be setting off some fireworks.
1: She continues. The Hobbit, according to several people familiar with the matter who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss it publicly, are quoted as the source for this. Barring a last-minute glitch, production could begin in mid-January so that the first of the two movies would be ready for a holiday 2012 release, Mm. according to people close to the project. And again, on this program, we had discussed the fact that Time Warner told its distributors to expect a Hobbit movie in December of 2012, the first part. It's going to be a two-part thing beautifully thought out and scripted by Philippa Boyens and Mm -hmm. Fran Walsh, the great Peter Jackson, and, of course, Guillermo del Toro, the brilliant director Mm -hmm. of Pan's Labyrinth and other wonderful movies like Hellboy and so forth, richly realized environments that he himself does the macro design for, much as Tim Burton does the macro design for his fantasies, such as... The Nightmare Before Christmas or his Alice in Wonderland. Tim Burton himself is an artist and actually sketches these things out. And as a matter of fact, currently has a museum show going on in New York, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) (laughs) If production doesn't begin by the first quarter of next year, the people said, The Hobbit will miss its planned release dates and likely will have to once again be delayed. So that's the only downside. But for her to be writing this, Mm -hmm. it's... Very, very, very close.
0: So, when, but if they're going to start, uh, if they might start in January, then that would mean something needs to be decided and they need to finish the cast before January, right?
1: That's exactly right. And now we get on to other movie news. Um, I wanted to mention that we have. (laughs) We (laughs) have so much news to discover. I mean, the issue is. In fact, as of this morning, as the one ring dot net reports, mm-hmm. right, there is still actually not a physical change. It's just that it's getting within a millimeter, just a silly millimeter of being achieved. Even though there are many reports that Peter Jackson has agreed to be the director, has worked out a deal with the MGM bosses, mm. as a matter of fact, MGM is a co-financer and is a 50-50 rights holder on the project. Because MGM's debt of $4 billion does not have restructuring officially and finally signed off and agreed to, in spite of the Spyglass Entertainment offer, it's not actually, you know, done, done, super done, but very, very close to being greenlit. Sources are confident that filming could get underway by January as intended. Warner Brothers and its new line division have been busying themselves recently with, among everything else, clearing up rights issues. Some little slight issues remain with the J.R.R. Tolkien estate. Mm -hmm. If Spyglass's restructuring goes through, if they're settled, then Jackson is expected to immediately sign on officially at that time. So, depi- despite the reams of drama, this is the net writing, um, despite the dre- reams of drama surrounding the project, Bilbo Baggins returning to Middle Earth is a likely reality. Mm. So, We're that is very, that's very, 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 very news. good news. Yes. Um, let's see what else we have. Uh, uh, another interesting thing that happened as a result of this financial thing is Philippa Boyens gave an interview to New Zealand's National Radio's Nine to Noon show. This is reported oh. by Altera on The oh. net. In it, she said other countries, including Canada, Scotland, Ireland, and Australia, are throwing in their hats to be considered as filming locations for The Hobbit, some offering big government rebates of money. Mm. So we see now that there is some action happening, people are getting very, very interested. I well, should... Uh, Go ahead.
0: Oh, of course, we all have loved how New Zealand was so beautifully transformed into Middle Earth. However, there are lots of places, especially, as you mentioned earlier when we were talking, uh, Scotland, where um, you wouldn't have to make it green and everything. All you have to do is put a hobbit hole in the side of a mountain, and they've got already got lots of very densely green, um, you know,
1: Right, you can imagine the forest oh, yes. and the trolls. I mean, Scotland <laughs> is the very image of the place where trolls might be. Yes. So yes. these things are just, I think, fantasies. Mm. I think it will resolve. If you ask Milo, your faithful Hobbit, uh, I believe what that. What
0: does it, ho- what What would a Hobbit think? <laughs> I think
1: that that I think what's going to happen is practical common sense will obtain, mm-hmm. will will occur, and they will shoot in New Zealand.
0: Yes, I think so, too.
1: One other piece of news. The Music of the Lord of the Rings films is a new book, and it is released today, October 5th. Ah! For more information, you can go to Amazon.com. It's written by Doug Adams, a Chicago-based author and musicologist. In 2001, nine years ago, he was invited by Howard Shore to observe and document Shore's work on the Peter Jackson films. And this wonderful book has not only the book talking about how the music came together and all the processes, but it also has a CD with it called (gasps) The Rarities.
0: Oh, my goodness. It has The
1: Rarities. Of course, Milo has pre-ordered the book. It should arrive this week. Oh, my goodness. And then next week we will play... Assuming everything works out, okay, right. we'll play a little selection from the Rarities album. It has 21 unreleased music tracks <gasps> composed by Howard Shore, as well as a conversation between Howard Shore and Doug Adams.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, So we, that's something uh, that's to look forward to. I get for to. spending so much time walking in starlight and gazing at the moon. I don't stay up on current things that are going on. But this is wonderful news. I'm very excited. And... In case people are just tuning in to What, what Would Arwen Do Here every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m., our time is just about up. However, I would like to mention oh how gosh. people can contact us oh, if, they yes. would like, if they would like to send us a little note to say hi or suggestions or asking. Questions,
1: asking anything yeah. or telling us what you think?
0: Um, ask an elf, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. That's and I want to thank you for giving us another wonderful show. It's quite an adventure being on this side of the console, I must say. There's part of me that just wants to jump over there and go, what's going on over there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I absolutely have and no you, idea. You this, are, uh,
0: this, is, this is wonderful.
1: The console is way too complicated for a simple, down-to-the-earth hobbit no, person like myself. This is, but
0: this is This is so much fun. So... We, w- we have so many wonderful things lined up for the fall, too, so I hope people will come back.
1: Oh, we have wonderful people we're planning to talk to. Hopefully next week we will have someone very special to be interviewed on this very program. Yes. So please tune in again next week. Meanwhile, this is Milo Lombsdowne, a hobbit at your service, and...
0: Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf.
1: And this is KUCI FM Irvine the voice of the University of California at Irvine. And why don't you announce our outro music, Tani?
0: This uh, we'll be hearing Into the West, uh, sung by Coco B, who used to have a show here, maybe hopefully one day again, Yogi World, uh, but is also a singer in her own right uh, who um, recorded this version of Into the West because we don't play any mainstream music here. Annie Lennox does a beautiful job at this does a beautiful, ethereal job with in, Into the West as well. And I want to say, until um, I see you again next week, my dear hobbit friend, Alin Salaloumen Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting.
1: There is no question that a star shone on the hour of our meeting more than a year ago, Tani, you delightful elf princess.
0: <laughs> well, we have a grand time, don't we?
1: Thank you so much. Thank and you to you all know. of our listeners, thank you for joining us on What Would Arwen Do here on KUCI F. FM Irvine.